0: Welcome to Slacker Motor Radio with Brad and Addison. Based out of the Pacific Northwest, we're talking motorcycles and the motorcycle community. and We're excited to have this hour with you. Here we go. Welcome back, Slackers. Now, uh, I usually say, Brad, how you doing? But uh, we have a whole better group of guests this time. So Brad can just sit at home and do his thing, because we'll assume that's all he's doing. Oh, I was hoping Brad would be here. <laughs> I tried to get him. He he was busy. We kind of... It's a weird week for all of us. Nonetheless, it's going to be an awesome week, because this week we got Dennis, who the listeners know. We've had Dennis on the show more than a handful of times, I think, at this point. Big fan. Big fan. Big <laughs> Big fan of the show. At this point, a co-host, basically. And uh, more importantly, as we talked about over the last two weeks, we got a gentleman named Rob... Rob Birch, because you'll find him on his website. So we'll just go last name, because you're going to want to look him up. Rob, how you doing? Doing great. All right, welcome yeah, to the show, you. man. Thank, thank you, you very much. for inviting us to the Mecca. Uh huh. This is awesome. Center. I will say that we don't usually have this kind of eye candy <laughs> when we record. It's usually padded walls. Oh, okay. For both sanity and <laughs> volume control. Hey, you got to get out of your
1: shell sometimes,
0: <laughs> you know.
1: We don't usually get, out get of your comfort uh, zone. <laughs>
0: the Rob Birch Mecca. So that's awesome, man. Now, uh, Rob, tell us a little bit about yourself. Why, why would we have you on the show? Let me intro, actually. Let me do this, because I've now had a couple weeks to get to know Rob, and uh, <laughs> I don't know why he's laughing, but i got to say, I've heard about Rob from Dennis, so this whole thing is full circle at this point, and uh, he has everything good that I have heard. Um, I got to spend a week, or uh, a weekend, racing around Oregon Raceway Park. With uh, ORP, with Rob and his group, Motofit group. Uh, We'll talk a lot more about that. Um, But he is probably the fastest guy I've seen on a bike. Uh Possibly the most crazy person I've seen on a track when he's riding two up. Mm -hmm. That was uh, a sight to behold for Mm -hmm. me, at least, as a new track rider. I'd Mm -hmm. never seen that and didn't know that was a thing. It Mm -hmm. is for many. (laughs) Shocking. Stunning. Especially when it comes around the outside of a corner that I'm already uncomfortable on. So, did that happen? I'm sure. You yeah. sh- you're supposed to, right? Oh, Green well, group. I was in the baby group. You're supposed to pass on the outside. Oh. No harm, yeah, no foul.
1: You're right. I, I think that's only. fair. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But uh, he is, I mean, basically a legend in the area <laughs> for motorcycle <laughs> racing, riding, skiing, everything adventure, and especially Motofit group, which uh, I hope we get into really deeply because I think it's a, a pretty cool thing that you're doing. Oh, thanks, Alice. So... I, uh, no, I appreciate it you joining us and I appreciate you letting me tag along with the crew, uh, paid or, or not. It was still, I felt like I was part of the crew and that was really fun.
1: So yeah. thank you for that. Well, no, I, um, you know, I think your, uh, your attendance was like requisite of just, um, everyone who shows up for that experience. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know what my big why is behind motorsports is that experience that you experienced that um, that day where we have that conversation about um, connecting with a with a racetrack, which is literally a different sport than riding a motorcycle around on the street, right? It one hundred percent, one hundred percent different sport. So, <laughs> same tool, different job, right? Sure. So, connecting with that experience is, I think, definitively. You know what's really driven me over the years. You know that um, being able to identify that. You know that's that's really you know the thing that I absolutely enjoy because you know we haven't changed our curriculum that we wrote twelve years ago. The only the only thing in that curriculum that's changed it changed is the prelog, um, which I felt like needed a little more of a description last year. So. Prior to that, we just went with the fundamentals of what we're attaching people to that experience with. So, without coming right out and saying that, you know, everybody will benefit greatly by this macro look at this experience, right? Macro, quasi, micro, a couple of little things that help you really focus, get confidence, and show up in that classroom the next day on Sunday morning for that picture, and everybody's countenance is completely changed. 100%. You agree? Oh, yeah. Isn't I mean, that amazing?
0: So, I mean, we're already diving so deep into it, but I know we've had... I've been... So you may not know, I don't know if you've listened to the last two, but I've been talking this conversation up for two weeks now. So I'm really excited to be here, and I'm sure... Hopefully everybody can hear my voice. But... Um, yeah, I, that was kind of one of the things I said last week. Brad and I kind of talked about my experiences with, uh, with MotoFit Group and with this awesome track day experience. Really, I mean, it, this was definitely a MotoFit Group experience when it came to classroom and some of the special things that we'll get into. Um, but just as a track day, that was my first track day as well. It's not, mm-hmm. it wasn't just MotoFit, mm-hmm. but you know, I got kind of both aspects of so here's what it is to be on a track compared to street, just as you said. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, here's what MotoFit Group does. That is beyond you know sitting in a lounge chair between sessions, right? Right. Um, and that was kind of one of the things I mentioned is is whether it was the instruction and then being able to focus on that for the next session and really hone a specific skill. And you mentioned a hundred times you and your crew, all the volunteers and and uh, instructors, you know that that muscle memory and trying to create that as you go through each each session based on that focus that you guys kind of drive.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then as well, yeah, the I talked heavily. My favorite thing of the whole weekend, and I, I'm sorry it's not you and your crew, but I got done with, it was oh, wow. right before lunch, <laughs> it was right before lunch um, on Sunday, and one of the guys came up uh, that we were racing in the green group with, I say racing, riding because it's not a race, mm-hmm. uh, riding in the green group with, I apparently blew by him, blew the doors off of him, and he got pissed because he was on a leader bike, or I think I think it was a 750. But, you know, my 675 blew by him, and he got pissed. And he told me, he stopped me, flagged me down after that session, and said, hey, that was awesome. You blew by me. And I said, that bike's smaller. It doesn't have fairings. and not supposed to be here. He should not be able to beat me. And so he started following kind of my lines that I had learned from following Trace and other instructors. And by the end of that group, he blew by me. And he said, nice. that was the funnest lap, because I realized watching your confidence, I should have that confidence. And just... So not just, I'm not bragging, I'm saying that that, to your point, that group picture, that friendship, that, I mean, I talked to a couple guys on Facebook after that I never met before, and it really creates a community. It definitely does. And, and that's what's really cool, I think. And I, and I, based on people I know, I know a few guys that are, are racing with or riding with other track day groups. A lot of people seem to come back to MotoFit Group. For sure. I mean I, I noticed you knew a lot of these guys that I mentioned that I was oh I met this guy and hung out with this guy and you knew them all. Yeah. So that's pretty cool.
1: Well, you know, Addison, it's really it's really cool to like to hear your enthusiasm because your infectious enthusiasm is going to inspire others too. And I feel like that's really kind of our envoy into um you know motorcycle safety and really being transparent and really trying to contribute something that's going to touch a lot of different people you know and admittedly i I'll say if I've said it once that I've said it a thousand times that you cannot get the same experience from someone trying to help you ride better on the street. there's absolutely. There is nothing that you can do that's going to enable you to see things the same way that we see them when we are on a secure racetrack, where, you know, we're putting the attention on every rider that's on the track to put the attention on themselves and make themselves the priority because there are no other dangers on that track with cars coming your way, you know, people running out in front of you, whatever. It's, It's in control, you know, and helping people realize that, you know, having a play set, if you would set up like that with everybody there to take care of you and what your needs might be, if everything should go wrong, correct? Sure. Short of that, you know, it's just a road, right? That we can actually like, look at how somebody is riding ORP is more than just a road. I will say that that was a crazy road.
0: It is. But <laughs> yeah, no, it truly is. I know. But I hear what you're saying. I agree. It's yeah. like a lot of roads, though. Yeah. is it? It's like it? a lot of roads we I, ride. I don't think I've seen a road that treacherous. <laughs> Man, I, those off-camber corners. <laughs> uh-huh. Blind,
2: off-camber. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You know, it's just, it's a road. A lot of elevation change. A lot of elevation
0: change. It is a heck of a track. Now, I believe you've got a lot of history with that track. Is that right? I do,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: How long have you been running ORP?
1: Since it started, since it opened, basically. So, a really close personal friend of mine, who was also involved in the Triumph group years ago. Okay.
0: Um, Poor
1: guy. Yeah. Back in 2001, (laughs) we heard about this group of people who were interested in putting a racetrack together. And uh, they had found some property (laughs) out in Grass Valley. And there's nothing out there so they said come on out and take a look and we all rode out and had a barbecue out there and then we got out the stakes and some flags and we're all stomping around in the weeds (laughs) you know staking the track out got maybe a third of it like laid out with some vision and we're thinking this could be really interesting you know fast forward to november of 2008 and i get a phone call one night it's raining here and my friend, the principal who really pulled everybody together and made this happen, called me and said, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> and uh, I said, it depends on what you're doing tomorrow. And he said, well, we're going to go ride Oregon Raceway Park for the first time, you and me. I'm like, all right. So we head on out there and uh, we parked literally right on the track. You know, the asphalt was three days old. And he's <laughs> like, I just went one lap. Goes just one lap, and then you're welcome to, you know, ride it all day long, you know. And it was literally kind of the shot heard around the Northwest when, you know, this uh, track came online
2: on Sport Bikes WS, It right was, it was. It was all we had was PIR, uh huh, which is flat, yeah, and kind of dull. It's all we had. It was fun, but that's mm-hmm. all we had. And then we started hearing about this thing over there in Central Oregon.
0: <laughs> and it's not that far.
2: No, it's, it's not really that far. Not, no. It's a hot skip and a jump. Oh, yeah. Being, so controversial,
1: though. It was so uh, controversial. Dude, was this is so a, for a whole
0: other topic, but I get into this I debate mean, with people all day. I'm someone that loves the road, so I'm like, three hours? That's like an after-working yeah. back.
1: Yeah. And they were concerned about uh, safety out there and whatnot. And uh, you know, comparatively speaking, we're looking at that terrain versus... Yeah, you know, something that's open and you can run it both clockwise and counterclockwise versus something like PIR that's surrounded by walls. Yeah, that's so correct. you and don't correct. really run one direction, and you can only run it one direction. Is that true? Correct.
0: See now, now you're getting my my greenness in track days in general. I didn't mm-hmm. know that about PIR.
1: Okay. So uh, that is a world of difference. Yeah, it was uh, it was a very controversial transitional time. I think in. Uh, motorcycle motorsports because it kind of hit its zenith as far as road, road racing went in the northwest around 2008-2009. Okay. And from there, it's been just before the crash. Yeah, just saying, before the crash. That's unfortunate timing. <laughs> yeah, just before the crash. And then the crash happens, Right. And ironically a great time to start attracting. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Is that I when hear. you started Motif Group as well? That's okay. it. that's when I started Motif okay. Group. Yeah, actually we signed a contract with Oregon Raceway Park to put on seven weekends. Committed. Signed. Yeah. It was mad. Kara's going, What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> so and the first event, you know, it started from the first event, you know, there was, uh, I don't know, just this interesting vibe about it because Kara was doing her career at the time and didn't have time to help me get things organized, but fortunately I had a 15-year-old daughter who, uh, coupled with her little 15-year-old friend, were masters at Excel. And I went down, and it was my weekend with my kids, so I go down to Salem and pick her up and bring her back to the house. I'm like, I need you guys to organize this for me. You know, (laughs) 35 minutes later, they give me this list of names who are coming to the track. I'm like, okay, I'm also going to need you to handle some transactions with these people. And they're like, okay, well, we'll we'll do some role-playing when we get to the track. So... But, you know, we get to the office at the track and we do yeah. some role-playing stuff. And, you know, to this day, I still have people that come to our events that that remind me of what it was like to walk into that very first Motifit event and see these two cute little 15-year-old girls standing there behind their, the counter. <laughs> And, and everybody, this guy's going, well, I, I was waiting for a moment to see, you know, when the parents were coming back. <laughs> and that, then I realized that they were in charge, <laughs> you know, and it was just kind of, I don't know, everything kind of went from there. I mean, we started the potluck that night and it okay. was just like, I mean, it all just kind of, you know, blossomed, even though it was, uh, you know, a recession, if you would, you know, it just... It seemed like there was just something really special about, um, you know, that that track layout, and um, we really we really jumped behind it as far as like going to the motorcycle shows, and um, I think that's where we collected you, isn't it? Didn't collect you?
2: No, no. I found out about uh, ORP through the grapevine. Uh, you know, uh, social media. You know, we heard about this new track over there at uh, ORP. Well, who's, who's putting on track days? Well, it's it's MotoFit Group. And okay, well, we need to sign up. We need to go. So that's just how I found out about it. You and Brian. Yeah. And then uh, we did see you at the... At the, the motorcycle uh, show. The motorcycle show. The uh, IMS. In, in Seattle. International motorcycle show. Yeah, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Back when it came to the Northwest.
2: It's
1: been right. a few years. Yeah. That <laughs> was little, fun. Little days. It was fun when they had the... Uh, International Motorcycle Show around the holidays, yeah, yeah, right? Yep. The
0: now they kind of, they throw something at the auto show, but it's not not the same. We got that little room.
1: Pale moon shadow. Yeah. A yeah. little room full of bikes. Yeah. It's really interesting how it's uh, evolved, you know. I, I had someone tell me the other day, Well, you know, the trick is you get them to come to the track one time, and then you've got them for good. But, I mean, to some maybe, but to most, most yeah. likely not. And I think that everybody's a motorcyclist, right, who's into riding motorcyclists. Sure. So we're all driven by that same desire to, like, become more refined in some capacity. And, you know, some, you know, require that they have that, you know, aspect of riding in their life to... Uh, help them get to that next level of being what I'll call a complete rider, right? Absolutely.
0: I mean, that's one thing about track. That that was a facet I didn't know. And it's, uh, I mean, it is, yeah, it's, it's a different thing than street. It's different than dirt. I mean, to your point, a complete rider, right? You kind of got to try three or four of these different things to uh, probably mm-hmm. everything, really, to be a complete rider. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the more of these little things you try out and get into, you find what you're into, right? Mm-hmm. I know guys that... Would do a track day all day and then go back to dirt, right? Because that's what they love, and that's fine. Well, who doesn't but, love the dirt? Right? I mean, yeah, and then, and, you know, everybody's got their hobbies and everyone's got their focus, and I, there's anybody that needs to kind of limit what they're doing and not stretch across so many, you know, so many aspects of, of the sport. I get it. <laughs> my wife will attest that, that we'll go broke because of my love of motorcycles, but as long as we're happy. <laughs> it's just money. It's just money, right? You'll and make more. more. And it doesn't come with me when I die. It does not. And if I do die, she'll get more of it because of life insurance. So it's exactly. a win-win, really. It is a win-win. It's, it's a win-win-win. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the handicap that's a concern. Uh-huh. The yeah. dying on a bike is, is less concerning. That comes with a, a purse. But, uh, yeah, nonetheless, so, I mean, if we break it down a little further, how did you get into motorcycles? When, when did this all start?
1: Mm. I'm guessing we're talking Long Little ahead. Rob. Yeah, little Rob. Actually... Robert Birch, I would say, because I went to a private school as a kid. So, you know, I became (laughs) less formal as I got older. The uh, schoolmaster would call you Robert Birch. Robert (laughs) Allen Birch, (laughs) Jr. Yeah, it was brutal. So here's this little guy standing out in front of Viewpoint School in Calabasas, California, waiting for his... Aunt and uncle in an international travel hall with 44-inch <laughs> tires. You know, this thing's jacked to the moon. It's like 1974, something like that, 73. And we're going to Big Bear for the weekend to go dirt bike riding. All right. And I think that's where it all started for me. Um, prior to that, I think my dad took me to a... Motocross race at um, Bay Mare in Simi Valley, California. And, you know, as soon as we paid to get in and rolled past that little shack and then went under the tunnel that the motorcycles were jumping over, and I could smell that two stroke oil, it was just that was it. You know, there was nothing. So, um, I'm 56 grew up in the golden age of motorcycling as a kid. Sure. Uh, my first dirt bike was an RM80 1977. Okay. But uh, I think the first thing I ever let the clutch out on was an XL70 maybe. You know, but it was, uh, I don't know, the same as everybody else, right? It's the same. Everybody gets hooked one way or another, and we all just, like, end up on that pathway. Of I, I mean... For me, anyway, I just always wanted to feel like, you know, I was getting something more out of it, and hence why you grow out of bikes, or I'd feel like I'd get what I needed out of a certain motorcycle, and it's very difficult, as you can see, for me to part (laughs) ways with motorcycles, but it's, you know, I mean, some we have over the years, and um, I don't know, it's... They all definitely, it's still, it's still that love, you know, I still feel it today. You know, with what I'm writing now, it's just like, I'm, I'm still like, looking at things the exact same way that I did when I was six years old, with like this wonderment of what's next, you know? Sure. Yeah,
0: what, what can we do with this? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I
0: don't know,
1: I was farsighted, I'm farsighted, so I think that, um, Wearing glasses as a kid and, um, you know, like a dog that loses their leg, they end up with like a other sensory or, you know, you they lose their vision and they become more like tuned in. So I think that for me, my like life has been like driven by like this feeling, you know, that I could get from carving sports, surfing, skateboarding, riding bicycles, you know, motorcycle riding. And it's, um, now, I mean, I just look at it as muscle memory, Yeah. right? That's, yep. that's essentially where we've arrived. So being able to identify, you know, that as muscle memory, it's, uh, it's pretty cool because it's, it's always been a part of, you know, why I love riding motorcycles, you know? So what, uh, what brought you to start a track day company? Is there
0: a history behind that? Of racing no. and, and yeah, I, I know the answer,
1: but yeah, yeah. We uh, <laughs> went, we went some endurance championships here in the Northwest, and um, I started road racing in 1985 in the AFM in Northern California. Timing was good for me. I mean, we moved from Southern California to Moraga, California, which was literally moving into a town that somebody like gave me my very own canyon. Sure. Right out the back door, I had the Oakland-Berkeley Hills, which is revered as some of the finest motorcycle roads to this day, like through Tilden Park and everything. Before it was overpopulated. Yeah, before, (laughs) yeah. 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 So basically, you know, you could um, ride out the back door of Moraga and be on a twisty canyon road that goes between redwood trees. So the consequences were huge. Sure. Um, yeah. so for, for years, I always considered, uh, uh, tracks with no runoff, not that big of a deal because of that whole life experience in that Canyon with, you know, you can't really afford to make any mistakes. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'd fill up my KC 650 and go back there and ride like 130 miles a day. Okay. Every day. And then road racing <laughs> became available, and I had a GPZ750. Okay. okay. Which was uh, 1984, so I started racing that in 1985. I always wanted one of those. Because <laughs> of Wayne Rainey, of course. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I, I had this thing with Kawasaki. For whatever reason, my dad felt like that was the bike I should be riding.
2: <laughs>
1: it had a motor. <laughs> I, I totally get it. If I
0: every bike I've brought home since being an adult has not been a Yamaha, but if my dad had his way, it would just be you know he's always really? why not Yamaha because that's what he grew up rode. He had Husky as he got older, but he was Yamaha guy, and that's how I, it all starts that way. Interesting. I only have Ford cars. I get it. We get, we, we get what we like, and
1: uh-huh. we just keep doing it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I get that, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, I don't know, there was this time for me anyway that I felt like, I mean, everybody was into riding off-road. I mean, we all loved riding dirt bikes. And where I lived in Camarillo, California, you know, me and my little buddies, like, hop on our little bikes and ride side saddle <laughs> out to Calegas Creek, go over the railroad tracks, have some farmer shooting salt rocks at us, and (laughs) get off my property, you little bastards, you know, and chasing us in a jeep, you know, and mind you, we're like eight, nine-year-old kids, I'm thinking to myself, huh, I don't think my daughter ever did anything like that, (laughs) when she was like, eight, but life was a lot different, right? Yeah. You know, but it was, it was amazing, it was basically like Southern California, and it was so wide open, you know, we had We had full-on tracks in Caligas Creek, like, you know, three miles from our house in this washed out riverbed, we had full-on motocross tracks and it was amazing, you know, so there'd be like a big, like, you know, meeting out
2: there, (laughs) you know, a bunch of little kids and their motorcycles, you know, it was really something.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. It's awesome, so yeah. yeah. I mean, sounds like you've always had writing in your blood,
1: definitely. Yeah,
0: and so, was it you're saying your aunt and uncle kind uh-huh. of
1: got you into it, or yeah, did, I think did you have bikes it at it home, my prior? Dad, okay. but they they kind of enabled it to, to happen, <laughs> they were the enablers, yeah, and the then, catalyst, the catalyst. And then, uh, when I went to junior high school, I met a kid named Todd Larson, and uh. He was motocrossing out at Indian Dunes and, you know, racing a lot. And uh, he had um, a 1977 RM80 that he needed to get the 1978 RM80. So I bought the 77 <laughs> with my my uh, paper route money. And I became like Todd's, like, little riding buddy. So Camarillo was just, you know a bunch of farmers that were basically mowing down their fields, building walls up and then subdividing, putting up houses. Sure. So, I mean, this was going on like crazy in those days. And there were always like places that we could go ride dirt bikes, um, build jumps. There was always plenty of wood and stuff for bicycle jumps and stuff like that. But around these like neighborhoods, we would um, build these like motocross tracks. <laughs> that we could easily get to from our houses, you know, in yeah. little, you know, riding through the culverts and however we could get there. And, you know, so that was probably where I got the most seat time was for those days riding with Todd. And uh, that's probably what really, I think, like, hooked me in as far as, like, really never wanting to stop, you know, riding yeah. motorcycles, you know.
0: Now, I know... Uh after participating in the Moto fait group and being in all of the classes. So I got to do the safer sooner Saturday, uh, which was awesome. You basically a day of classes. And then I got to stay for Sunday, which no, no complaints on my end. That was awesome. Especially to your point, Saturday to Sunday, our, our countenance, our, you know, ability to ride, everything is just so different. It was amazing. Totally, Looking was at awesome. the pictures from Saturday morning, to Sunday afternoon, it's like, Oh man, I wasn't even the same person. You think that's a
1: pretty good, uh tell
0: on how far I definitely told me that I wasn't doing as good as I thought I was either it was tell kind of on both sides that man yeah I'm definitely my form is better clearly I'm more confident on the bike that's what was the biggest tell is I was comfortable on the edge of the tires rather than Mm kind of trying to figure out what I was doing it's not a visual thing so I love when I act out things for a podcast but Uh nonetheless um (laughs) but yeah my but also looking at the end of Sunday I'm like man I gotta get over more I gotta get off the bike more. I gotta move my butt. I'm sitting here. you know, I got the arms a little bit, but it could go a lot further.
1: So, would you just say that the biggest benefit is that now you your your um, awareness on your bike and the things that you need to do to be more effective? It's like more at the forefront of your thought, right? Hundred percent. So, yeah, <laughs> last week we talked about a little bit that really for me one of the biggest
0: epiphanies, let's call it, that I got is that, you know, the things people talk about, right? Oh, you can really grab those brakes. And on the street, I never had the balls to do it. I mean, just flat out, I'm not going to grab those brakes for all I can because there could be gravel. I'm just not going to do it. I'll slow down early. And I've always been a little behind some of these guys that do track days on the street because I just, I don't, I didn't know my bike could do that. Like people said it could, but man, I learned, you know, some of the, the, uh, trail braking and some of these things that, it just, that didn't make sense in my head. You read it, and you're like, no. And I've known people to do it wrong. Sure. Dennis and I were both in an experience where a gentleman put his bike down for kind of doing it wrong a little bit. Uh, and so, it, you know, it just it didn't click, and so I never was going to try it. But, man, you can break going into a corner on a track? That's insane.
1: We encourage
0: it. I know. I like, doing it, and once you get that down, corner two, and now <laughs> uh, nobody listening knows what I'm talking about unless they've been at ORP, but that was an epiphany on corner two how much you can break into that as you go over. It's just amazing once you get those lines and those set points. Anyway, I'm getting real deep into specific ORP stuff. But braking was the biggest thing. Braking and how far you can lean that, you know, there's no need to do that on the street. But if there's an emergency on a corner, you don't have to bail. You can go further. You can push it a little harder, and you can make it.
1: Stay with the brakes. Keep turning keep it, in. it Yeah,
0: turn in a little yeah. harder. You know, don't yeah. On the street, there's no reason to go to 100. Right. But if you're riding hard at 80, sure. and you need that extra 20%, you can cut the corner sharper to dodge something. You don't have to sure. look at the wall and hit it, right? Sure. Turn harder. And Dennis has talked about that with me before. I had a bit of a cheat coming into to your your track days, because Dennis talks about the same things you guys do. Every time I ride, he gives me a hard time for how bad of a rider I am.
2: No, I don't. <laughs> but weighting the
0: pegs and all these things that you guys talk about and help... Help teach that uh, you know I've heard. Oh, before. you're a great writer. But it was uh, and you listen. I try. Yeah, That's important. Well, I see you go, and I'm like, man, I, clearly it works. <laughs> and now I've seen Rob go, and it's like, oh crap! You can even do that with someone on the back. <laughs> mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was still the most amazing thing I've ever seen. By the way, on a bike, I've never. I couldn't even imagine that.
1: Freaks That's me family. out. Right here in this garage, created this gas tank for my uh, GS6R750 that I saw on my Facebook thing 10 years ago today. I was giving somebody a two-up ride. This guy made this gas tank special for this bike that had a handle on it. Okay. (laughs) And I really thought that it was going to help people understand more about, like, how to plan for a corner, like, the whole body brakes gear gas thing, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's, like, giving you, like, these you know, steps to take before you get to the turn, but none of that actually happened. I mean, the only thing that they really realized was how hard you could break turning, Okay. and then how hard the acceleration was coming off a corner, which is, in the end, you know, someone going, well, everything was so seamless and smooth that I think it helps, you know, people realize that in order to do anything well, you have to be smooth, 100%. And, right? So, you know, it's like we're talking about be a good passenger on your bike, right? The only way that you can go fast on a motorcycle is by doing more things right, not by trying harder. You know, and the racetrack is where we can have a report card for everything that we're doing out there and keep ourselves calm and really precise, you know, like we're talking about specifically the brakes, right? Let's talk about the brake pressure range curve and how most people that are grabbing their brakes are are thinking like panic, right? Brake marker or I need to hit my brakes. They grab as much brake as they possibly can, like right at the beginning. Right? Sure. It happens all the time on the street. It happens all the time on the street. But it's the inverse of, you know, what we're we're really trying to accomplish if we're being smooth versus, you know, instead of that first impact of, like, crunching the brakes into the rotor, you know, if you just, like, met the pads to that rotor and then from there built brake pressure as you keep turning your bike in, when you get to that point where the turn is completed and your bike is pointed in the right direction now all you have to do is let off the brake and roll back onto the gas and it's seamless versus hitting the brakes harder at the beginning which ultimately turns out to be over slowing because you really have no gauge for precisely when you should when the bike is turned in the right direction and you can get back on the gas sure so it's little things like this that make a huge difference on a racetrack, maybe not so much on the street because we're not charging each apex. I mean, we're really more or less late apexing every turn, right, to maintain a margin of safety on the exit of the corner. We should be. We should be, (laughs) right, right. So fundamentally, I think giving yourself, like, that opportunity to experience how to really... You know, turn into a corner. Also, like you were saying earlier, you know, gives you an idea of how much traction you have if things don't work out right. Yeah,
0: and I, I mean that was kind of the takeaway, at least for street and my day-to-day riding. That you know, it lets you know that when we're riding, because on the street I didn't hit half of the extremes that were on the track, and that's good. I shouldn't, but it lets me know that there's that there's more to go. Right. Right. right? If you're in an emergency, you don't have to bail. Depending, I mean, there's there's things and everything, you know, accidents happen, stuff happens. But you have more options than just straighten it up and light up the brakes. Yeah, that's just the and last. You got, yeah, you got a lot more options. And once you get that confidence, especially on the track, you are able to build that confidence. It just makes it...
1: To keep riding the bike. Yeah. To, to never stop riding the bike.
0: To hold on through it and push it a little harder. You know, there is, there's a little more, especially at that street level, there's more to give. And you can, you know... Or an harder if you need to to dodge something or whatever it is. You don't have to beeline, right? You don't have to uh, focus on you know something. We we go for what we're looking at and we can right. Right, look through the corner and kind of build those habits, that muscle memory. Right. But uh, I will say this this leads in well to one of the questions Brad wanted to know. So I'll ask it for him since he's not here,
1: mm.
0: and I'll ask each of you. <laughs> but what uh, he wanted to know what the biggest epiphany or biggest revelation that you've had while riding track. About motorcycles or
1: motorcycle technique? Well, um, I think the biggest epiphany I've had is basically being able to say, if you can do these three things, you are functioning like an advanced rider. So, one is ride with reference points most significantly on a racetrack, a brake marker. Sure. Two, the first input on your handlebars is always a counter steer. So anybody who's advanced is actively counter steering your bike. And three, when you have direction in the corner, you're now pulling on the inside handlebar and doing the pickup drill to drive yourself out of the corner. And as we were talking about earlier, the pro tip for this epiphany is the brake pressure range curve, where you don't over brake as you're turning in and you build brake pressure as you're approaching the apex of the corner. Knowing this, this is how every pro motorcycle racer rides a motorcycle. And it's demonstrated by everybody that's out there riding on the track. I would say, the single biggest difference between everybody, though, is this where they are making the slowest point of the corner. So, maybe where we make the slowest point of the corner could be the biggest epiphany I've ever had as a motorcycle rider because that determines how long you are going to be able to make your straightaway. And strategically, if you're trying to go fast, that's all we're trying to do. Just make our straightaways longer.
0: Sure. <laughs> huh. That's fair. What do you think, Dennis? You've you ride riding track for a while. I you think your biggest epiphany uh, or revelation.
2: Uh, the well, the biggest epiphany that I had was what Rob already mentioned, and that was the what he calls the pickup drill. So, most of us, if we're riding conservatively, will enter the corner much slower than we know that we could have and once we're at the apex of the corner and we're picking the bike up we're already going I could have entered this a lot faster and a lot of people will try to make that up by screwing on (laughs) throttle while they're leaned over Sure. and uh, anyone who's been on the track and been stung by that (laughs) will a test of the fact that you cannot do that. So, um, this is the pickup drill is that you must get the, the, the bike uh, back into the vertical position, or close to it, or on its way to it, as you're screwing on the throttle. And it becomes muscle memory, as we've talked about already. And it just becomes second nature, that even if you're going too slow in the corner, and you want to pick up speed, You cannot be twisting the throttle while you're leaned over. But as you're exiting the corner and you have vision towards the exit and you're counter steering, actively counter steering the motorcycle, bringing it back up onto its wheels and screwing on the throttle at the same time, whether you're on a 600 or a thousand CC or 250, growing to full and that is a great feeling. It's an awesome feeling as the bike comes back up to vertical and you're rolling to full throttle, wide open throttle, and you hit the power band and the bike takes off out of the corner. And it, it just becomes second nature and it's it's muscle memory.
0: Yeah, but on my little 695 I can get away with leaning over and giving a little throttle. <sighs> <laughs> you were just talking to me about this, uh, what, yesterday? But... Uh, that, that's one of the reasons, so I, I hear yeah, we'll have a, a different question coming out, but I hear that you guys are both pretty big proponents of, of having a leader bike on the track. that so that's the right bike is, is 1,000 CCs, right? For a track day bike. I don't know. I'm getting weird faces that no one else is seeing but me, but
2: well, it's controversial.
0: Why is it controversial?
2: Well, people, I'm getting weird smiles from no, both I'm of just, you. A lot of, a, lot of, a lot of people will disagree that you shouldn't have a, you know, a thousand cc's on the track. But, I mean, where we come from is we're out there to have fun. So... it's unfair. If you want to... track day is, you right? You You're not wanna, racing.
0: You're out there to have fun. Racing little.
2: But if you want to ride fast, I mean, a thousand cc's is really fun.
1: What about 1400 cc's?
2: <laughs> you know the the
1: difference the difference is this this is the difference a 600 and a liter bike they both will use tires about the same you will really yeah okay you would know way more than I would however <laughs> the liter bike it's like a 600 it's just a little wilder you know what I mean it's just that's the way it was described to me and uh I'd say it's I don't know like Dennis said it's definitely more fun, you know having that that kind of You know glue your eyeballs to the back of your skull kind of you know power on demand but you definitely Excuse me you definitely want to be You know pointed in the right direction when you pull the cable sure You know and that and that's the trick um those bikes, and I'll just come right out and say it, I mean, Yamaha has owned that 600 class, that R6. It's a great bike. Sure. But Suzuki's just owned the racetrack for so many years that you just can't go wrong with a, a good GS6R
2: 1000. gs r 1000. Mm-hmm. That's what you want, Addison. Is that what I want? Yep. Not a V4. Not a Tuono V4. No. Oh, whoa. <laughs> that was...
1: A violent glare there, man. Just <laughs> give me a GSX R1000 and just, just move on. 08, <laughs> 08 Not an R1. Then. No. No. That
0: well, was less of a glare. I'm gauging based on glare yeah. value.
1: GSXR yeah, 1000 I know that there's a
0: lot of guys out there, specifically, I mean, again, mm-hmm. MotoFit was my only experience, but mm-hmm. a lot of those guys running black group and going fast were on mm-hmm. GSX R1000s. Or uh, I noticed a lot of S one thousand RRs. Yeah, we've kind of transitioned. out. So
1: <laughs> we, uh, we all got adult bikes now. So, <laughs> so what does that say about the Gixxer one thousand? Well,
0: it's not an adult a, bike. No, no. Yeah.
1: Well, I still own one. <laughs> I know. Mine is awesome. <laughs> I just and got six seventy five. I'm on a just, toddler bike at that point. Then. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'd say a technology differential. Because this new S1000, the 2020 S1000, is more like a Suzuki than any of the current superbikes.
0: Yeah, I just heard the entire country of Germany yelling at you, mm-hmm. more like a Suzuki.
1: More like a Suzuki. I think they would probably admit it.
2: They would probably say, we took the R 1000 and we made it better. Yeah, they, Yeah, they did it's um,
1: it is absolutely an amazing machine there is like we're talking about right it's like you can appreciate you know a, a variance in, in a, a generation of a motorcycle right so sure unbelievable it's difficult to think that they that that they even that the S one thousand, the previous iteration, was even made by the same manufacturer. It feels so much different. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know how I can like say it any other way. Hi. It's like, yeah, I've never, I've never felt a motorcycle that turns in like this thing that uh, comes out of a corner like this or has so much, you know, versatility. Because for years, I mean, Dennis and I have like. You know, we all have different motorcycles, different tool for a different job, right? Riding a hunched over motorcycle on the street to me has been like this, you know, crazy. You know, I mean, you really got to be committed <laughs> to want to ride that, sure. you know, because it's it's not comfortable, especially all day long. Sure. Right. I yes. But this bike, you could do it. You could actually, you could actually ride this thing to the track and make a few changes and have a really good track bike, and then ride it home.
0: But all those changes are probably push-button, right? All electronic. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have you to actually do, like do you <laughs> toggle.
1: You can toggle <laughs> the three, between three different changes, like, in real time. So it's just, yeah. you know, like the eye doctor appointment. <laughs> do you like A or B? B or C? You know, and you just run through all your suspension settings like so, and you end up with a super bike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Now, the question I have on there, as a newer track rider, did you notice that nuance? Would I notice the difference between the previous gen and the current, or do you have to be at a certain
1: level to really get that? Yeah, here's the thing. This is why I believe this bike is so revolutionary, because I think that they've done it as far as the one bike for everybody, Okay. which is really saying a lot. But the... The range by which this thing can be set up very very easily like right out of the box it's it's just unbelievable and I and again you know going back to you know people sorry people getting the right feedback from what they're doing and that positive stable feedback um, I I can't say I've ever felt a motorcycle with a front end like this one okay and uh, that's that's really uh, a special thing I think they basically knocked off a lot of Suzuki with this bike okay over the years from the first iteration to now it's like they don't even there's really no comparison it basically this one has four parts that they share uh, with the old iteration and they' fasteners so it doesn't even you know, the seating position and everything I'm going on. But yeah, it's like yeah. you get a chance. <laughs> you get a chance to ride this new bike. And I'm hoping this next year we're going to be able to, you know, connect a lot of people to the whole S1000 experience and uh, you know, getting on board with BMW right now. We have this okay. co-op with San Jose BMW um, where we can, you know, help people get set up with an S one thousand and now we actually have a a MotoFit Group S one thousand package that you can have the exact same parts that we're using on our bikes, on your bike, which is all the best stuff. <laughs> Ironically, um that we've been associated with for a long time, like Evil Technology, Steve gorl at Evil Technology. Okay. Amazing, um, designer of works, factory parts for motorcycles. So when Steve and I met at the racetrack, he had a TZ125 and I had a 600 Honda and the TZ125, that's a purpose-built race bike. Okay. Well, the 600 Honda, 600RR, 03, 600RR was about as close as it could be to a modern 600 race bike, but... Wasn't really a purpose-built race bike like the, uh, um, like the TZ. So, Steve uh, started making rear sets for our bikes, and he got a six hundred like mine. So he you know started making these parts, sure. and that's basically where Evil Technology started. Um, he built all the parts for our endurance race bike, and we won a couple championships on all the parts that he built and now evil technology is the premier handlebar and rear set manufacturer in the motorcycle racing industry at least professional in the United States there's more of these parts on the professional grid than any other single manufacturer okay. and so culturally it's really cool to be you know affiliated with you know clear thinkers like that and You know, I think it says something more about what, you know, we're all involved in. You know, we're, we're involved in the whole spectrum of motorcycle riding. Okay. So for us, I mean, that bike, it's a great bike, right? But we add a little biomechanical engineering to it and make it even better because no one has ever said, Addison, you know, this is a great bike for you. Go have fun. Right. Right. Sure. They don't adjust the handlebars. They don't move the seat up and down. They don't move your feet anywhere. These are things that make a big, big difference in our effectiveness as motorcycle riders. 100%. No one ever talks about it.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Right. So... And
0: there's so many of them that are so easy to do, you know? So many. Your lever adjustment. I mean, this stuff is like second nature. Anyone can pull it off. And you should when you first get a bike. You should. New, used doesn't matter. Check no. it out, see where it fits and what go, works. Go through the whole thing,
1: and you know, I felt like my dad was really genius in his like, you know, keep your bike clean, you know, because you could always see that the frame was cracked or something was ready to sure. go wrong. Especially on you. dirt bikes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you find all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. Me on street bikes up. too, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Join us next week as we finish this awesome discussion with Rob uh, about MotoFig Group, track days, and really everything that uh, that makes an all-around rider.